filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So the last time I played golf, it was a few years ago, and, and uh, it, it was at a pretty awful golf course. It was a public course that we picked up kind of like the night before while drinking, like, let's go play golf. And my one friend who is good at golf was like, oh, I got the perfect place. And it was perfect for what was happening, which was never played golf before, who lazily played golf briefly in high school because we, as a joke, tried out for the golf team. Um I did not make the golf team and got yelled at by the coach before we even tried. Um, but, uh, <laughs> anyway, um, during our game of golf and, and you might not be surprised for those of you who've played golf before I was shooting, like, I, I think I finished at like 150 or somewhere in there, like an absolutely <laughs> ridiculous score. Um, because I just wasn't even like, I was out there to have fun and drink a couple beers and have fun with my friends and, and be outdoors. Uh, I was not there to actually succeed at golf. I was just sort of hitting the ball and hoping that things worked out. Even I can do better than 150. Well, I didn't try, is the thing. Like, if you just lazily, without aiming, just hit the ball and hope that it sort of goes where you're going, you know, you end up in the woods a lot. I think at a certain point, once you're, once you're double over par, uh, for the course, they should stop measuring you in strokes and start measuring you just par times two is where you exist. Uh, well, what we did was it, we we worked on the honor system. So I get to the end and have to like stand and count like that scene in um was it what is it um uh swingers when they're they're both terrible at golf and they have to count their shots and they're like counting up to eight or nine. It was a lot like that. I'm like, well, I think it's nine, and uh, they'd be like, all right, that's I think it's nine is good enough. But anyway, I can't come up with a philosophy. Which is very, this is how you stay calm while playing golf. It's a three stage philosophy. It's, you hit the ball. That's one. Uh, <laughs> it goes in the hole. That's two. And then move on. Because you don't want to let the fact that it took you nine or ten shots to get it in the hole, you don't want to let that ruin your day. It's still nice out. It, golf is still a pleasant thing to do with people. Uh, that might make it so it's not really a sport at all at that point because you're not trying to compete with yourself or anyone else. It's just a thing you happen to be doing to occupy your hands. Um, but I think I'm having a lot more fun at golf than most other people. So you're not particularly competitive at golf. I, I, I am not taking this story to understand. Otherwise you would, you would see the flaw in your system, which is what to do between steps one and two. Because hitting the oh, yeah. ball doesn't tend to calm you down when the ball doesn't go in the hole. Well, you, you laugh at it when it goes wrong. Because it goes comically. You have time to look at it and see that it's gone wrong, and you get to laugh. You're like, well, oh, that's ridiculous. And beer. Yeah, oh yeah, everyone's got beers. Um, and, uh, okay. you know, if I wanted to be competitive, I would probably try and, like, shooting and, um, you know, kick their ball, things like that. That's how you actually compete um, <laughs> in a, an unhealthy and cheating manner. As diabolically as possible. Yeah. 
Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I am Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason, don't call him a golfer, Anderson, and Ben. I don't have a nickname for you tonight, Brian. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where you can find us writing about DC United, MLS, and many other things in the world of soccer. We've got a good show for you tonight. We're going to talk about MLS player transactions. We're going to talk about the new DC United jersey leak that dropped. Um, I guess at this point, it hasn't been confirmed as the jersey, so the rumored jersey leak. Uh, and we're going to do some cake or death and off-season awards for DC United uh, coaches and players. Before we do anything, though, we have to do this every week. Jason Anderson, what are you drinking? Uh, I have uh, Flying Fish Brewery's Abbey Double. Um, as far as American-made Belgian, it's not Gang level. Um, it's not truly elite, but it's still pretty good. It's got a nice um, molasses, raisiny uh, note to it that's nice. It's kind of thin, though. Uh, the... That's, I guess, the tech, it's a textural complaint, I guess I would have more than a flavor complaint, but it's still good. Um, it still was worth the 12 or 13 bucks or whatever it was. Um, so I'm pleased with it. I'm drinking it out of a snifter as you do. Um, whereas yeah, I, I saw do. that. I saw you had a nice fancy glass and I'm, I'm drinking something out of a, a pewter cup. It should be copper, uh, if I wanted to be technical, but I, I don't have copper cups. I have pewter cups because we are a bourbon family and this is a, a julep cup. <laughs> But I am drinking a uh, Moscow Mule tonight with uh, vodka made by a, a bourbon company uh, in Frankfort, Kentucky called Buffalo Trace. It's their Rain Organics vodka and, you know, all vodka is just vodka. So I'm not going to wax poetic about the qualities of the vodka. But the ginger beer I used was made by a friend of mine and he handed it out to people uh, as a Christmas present this year. So. I was drinking free ginger beer in my Moscow Mule. So thanks, Pete, for for the ginger beer. Uh, ben, have, what are you drinking? Wait, before oh. we get to Ben, sure, sure. Do, do we'll, you guys we'll do know? Press conference. Do you guys know why you have to drink a Moscow Mule from a copper mug of some kind? Marketing. To no sell, idea. Yeah, to sell, to sell more copper cups. Big copper? Is it big copper that's making us do this? Yes. Because yes. I've never known. I've drank them and never questioned it, but. I don't know why I'm no, supposed to drink it out of copper and not anything else. It's it's big copper. Or big whoever big copper. makes All right. I'm satisfied with big copper. Okay. I mean, copper's already pretty expensive. I think they get a lot more... Okay, we're not going to talk about copper. I'm going to go I'm on to what I'm drinking. <laughs> so, okay, fine. We're trying to keep these under an hour, which won't happen today. Um, so, <laughs> back in the 90s when Vanilla Coke first came out, I was a big proponent of vanilla coke because we were teenagers and it was sweet exactly um i was too and then it disappeared for a while and then it like is occasionally around depending on what grocery store you go to but today at my kroger i found vanilla coke zero so i immediately had to buy it because it's a not totally unhealthy way to consume vanilla product coke products so i grabbed that poured some bourbon in it and I'm drinking it. So I looked this up, and apparently copper heightens some things, is what they tell you. No, it doesn't. Because the okay. inside isn't copper. It's lined, It's usually lined in uh, something else. Well, if it's not, it's supposed to... The, the copper gets... Yeah, I don't know. The copper gets super cold because of the ice, and then makes the drink fizzier. 
and also I thought I, thought I said we weren't. I thought I said we weren't going to talk about copper. Yeah, it's my turn this to take us off the rails. Up. What? <laughs> oh, it's this totally made up. up. It's totally <laughs> made up. But it's on the internet, which is important. Oh well. Uh, also important in our small little bubble of a universe is soccer. So let's talk about that. Uh, the MLS hot stove is about as raging as it gets at this point. The hot, the MLS hot stove really doesn't get that hot, but it's, it's going pretty good right now. Uh, in, in we here in DC, uh, are, are warming ourselves by its timid little glow. Uh, it looks like Perry Kitchen will not be a member of DC United next year. We had a good indication that this was going to be the case. But uh, Steve Goff reported last week that Perry Kitchen or that talks between DC United and Perry Kitchen have broken down and both sides have moved on. Perry Kitchen is fielding offers from Germany and Denmark and DC United has their eyes on a defensive midfielder, we think, from uh, the French League. Who knows whether he's actually French or Colombian, according to the one rumor, or which wasn't even a rumor, it was more internet sleuthing than anything we won't go into it um or or something else uh but dc united have their eyes on him and also on an argentine playmaker to help bolster the midfield ben i think we're all sad that perry kitchen is going but is this something that could have been avoided is this anybody's fault is there anybody to be mad at over this no of course not this is just one of those things that happens it's a player who has probably reached his zenith in MLS uh, and who wants to take a crack while he's still young at Europe, uh, wanting to go to Europe. And it is a team not willing to ridiculously overpay for said player. Uh, I've seen rumors and reports slinging about that basically uh, United offered basically just under the DP threshold and that nobody else in MLS is going to give Perry Kitchen a, a DP contract. So it's not like there's a market for him at that price point outside of DC United. It's not like they're low-balling him because they're cheap or anything in this case. It's just that he wants to try his uh, try his trade in Europe, and that sounds well, reasonable. And also, there are clubs in Europe that are willing to pay more than that for right. a player of his quality at his position. Yeah. It's he In some ways, he's a victim of the salary cap system. In other ways, he's not a victim at all. He's just a good player. He's going to move up to a league where he can get better exposure to a bigger league, potentially. Um, Jason, do you have anything to add on that, or should we move on to some shenanigans out West? Uh, I mean, I would just add that I, th- I think you guys are right, that this is a situation where United, within a salary cap league, is probably making a pretty fair offer within the world of MLS, but because Kitchen can move outside of MLS and the world out there, you know, the, the amount of money that a team can afford to pay is larger. Um, at a certain point, you, you're, you're kind of running out of ways to make that work. Um, if the player involved, Kitchen or otherwise, is like, well, I want to go to Europe and they're offering me more money, there's not really much else you can put on the table other than, oh, you know, if you, if you pay him a competitive salary at that point, then you've got considerations down the roster. You've got other players on the team saying, Hey, um, I'm just as valuable to the team. Just, I am, I, you know, maybe Steve Birnbaum says that 
Bill Hamid, if you offer Perry Kitchen more than Bill Hamid's making, that's not going to go over that well since clearly Bill Hamid's the best player on the team. And I think everyone would be aware of that. Um, so you've got, you, you run into a lot of issues in your locker room, uh, and away from the field as far as egos are concerned. Um, so it's not something I think we've talked about it multiple times that none of us are really surprised. Um, the fact that this dragged out for as long as it did always pointed to an end where United met their salary, the ceiling that they were willing to pay, um, before Kitchen was going to meet the point where he said that's, a, that's enough money. Um, and there's not really much else they can do. You can't sweeten the pot in ways that European clubs can. Um, uh, foot the bill for him shipping his Lamborghini across. Um, that's a, <laughs> that's a nice thing to throw in. Um, but you know, it, it sucks for United. Uh, they're going to have to, and as I've said, I think a couple times on the site, they have not won a single game, an MLS match at least, where Perry Kitchen wasn't playing since Perry Kitchen joined the team. Um, so it, it really underlines the fact that whoever they sign to be the new best defensive midfielder on the team, that player has to be a player that is a success in March. This can't be a wait a few months for him to adjust. This has to be a player that's, that can adjust it during the preseason and get his feet under him and be good. You know, maybe, maybe it's not fair to say he has to be as good as Kitchen in the first game of the season, but, um, he's got to be pretty close because this isn't a team that can afford uh, to do without in that position. It's a, a crucial position in, on any team, but especially with the way DC United plays, this has to be, it's a high pressure situation now for the team to go sign someone that fits the, fits the job. Yeah. Suddenly it becomes more of a make or break off season for Dave Casper in the front office than it was because this is now, uh, suddenly a, a very important position to fill. Uh, we'll, get into some tactical stuff and permutations of, of how United might play next year as we get a little further into the offseason. Uh, we'll save that for a future show. Tonight, though, I want to look around the rest of MLS and some of the moves that are happening. Uh, some of the biggest moves going out and, and one move coming in. It's almost like a game of, of two truths and a lie, but it's two uh, facts and a rumor. Right now for the LA Galaxy, who... What I have written down in my note is they lost their damn mind. <laughs> <laughs> World's slowest team. Yeah, they have they have sold uh, U.S. national team center back Omar Gonzalez and Maryland product. Uh, I will nod to Jason there. Yeah. Uh, sold him to Pachuca for an undisclosed fee. They also sold uh, the linchpin of their midfield, the only remaining player in their midfield, their central midfield who could run. Uh, Janinho, a Brazilian player who was not old despite his bald spot, uh, <laughs> sold him to Cholos in Tijuana. Uh, and they are rumored to be signing a very expensive left back slash generally despised word I'm not going to say, Ashley Cole, uh, who currently is sitting on the bench at Roma. Uh, if he's in the 18 on game day at all. Is he um, even at Roma or was he, re- did he leave Roma and is just unemployed? I will say most recently at Roma. I'm actually not sure okay. where, I, I think he might where be or if he is right now. He may actually exist only as a spirit in the ether. I'm not even sure he has physical uh, existence at this point. He might be just, 
ethereal Ashley Cole, which still it, unlikable. That's, that's yeah, still unlikable <laughs> and a definite downgrade from Robbie Rogers at left fullback. He hasn't played. He ter- terminated his contract with Roma on August fourteenth. On August fourteenth, holy cow! He's been out of contract for months. Yeah, since before this. So basically, this entire yeah. half season so far. Yeah. Good news, no transfer fee. <laughs> also, looking a little desperate. This this reeks of Sean Wright Phillips, doesn't it? Only like a less successful version of a Sean Wright but Phillips. Way yeah, worse. Worse, and it's not like Ashley Cole's younger brother is doing well there. And you're like, well, this will be <laughs> nice for everyone. He'll, he'll um, fit right in. No one's going brothers. to be happy. Yeah. This is... No one there... Maybe Steven Gerrard will be happy. And even then, he probably shouldn't because he's probably gotten to know Ashley Cole and is like, no, you're a bad person. I don't want to hang out on with you. England together. Right. I mean... Know him enough to be like, oh... This is a guy <laughs> who was a world-class fullback at one point and yes. just isn't now. And hasn't been for a while. No. I, I, I hope he plays uh, central midfield with Steven Gerrard just so it can be the slowest midfield in the history of world soccer at any division or at any level. I think that's something to root for. Yep. Um, the LA Galaxy, of course, is DC United's first opponent in 2016. In MLS, I should say. Of course, they're playing Kurotaro before the... Um, is is LA going to have a defense at that point, Jason? Uh... I mean, there will be something there. Um, Leonardo will be there. Right. Uh, Ben's cats might put up more of a fight. Um, (laughs) And Dan Gargan would come in with Delagarza going into the middle. Um, Leonardo's still going to be there. Um, They did. uh, Dave Romney came in off, um, you know, from he's sort of the model of success for a guy that signs with a USL team attached to an MLS club because he was playing it for the Galaxy 2 and then uh, signed a deal basically to fill basically to fill the roster out they you know they had a couple injuries and it was like well we've got an extra roster and he actually the MLS and looked fairly solid um, so they've got him as well as an option at center back um, Robbie Rogers is a perfectly good left back who attacks a lot he fits their style of play um, this move just doesn't make any sense. Um, they don't need a left back. They don't need an expensive left back. They don't need, they cannot afford a single player that is slow or immobile or disinterested. And I suspect all of those things are uh, is a position that doesn't forgive being slow or disinterested. Um, so their defense on opening day is probably going to be a mess. Um, the preseason, you know, they'll be working to try and figure it out, but, um, it's a good time of year to be playing them, that's for sure. Even though it is in Los Angeles and it's been a little while since DC has gone there and done anything. Um, play the Galaxy this season. You want to play them early before they've sorted the, the issues that they've given themselves to sort out. And some of them are, I understand, because of their, uh, they mortgaged their future a little bit in the last few years. And that's why Gonzalez had to go because even with MLS's rule changes, they still couldn't find a way to fit him in. Um, they needed to get some allocation money in, which is why Janino had to go. But now, you know, their guess would be Basio Husidic, but he's not gonna, he's not, he doesn't fit alongside Gerard. Um, I, yeah, I don't know what, I mean, there's a lot 
that they have to do, and they're probably going to be making a lot of moves. But right now, you look at it, and it's like, this is a bad team. This is a team that will probably not make the playoffs as they're constructed, even with Bruce Arena there, even with Robbie Keane there. Um, I wouldn't expect the roster as is to make the playoffs. Now, they'll make some signings, but all of those signings are going to be unknowns, or in the case of Ashley Cole, along what we can all pretty much say that we know will fail. Um, and I encourage them... They're going to I encourage to the Galaxy signing. to make more signings like Ashley Cole. Yes, more signings like that would be great for the rest he, of the league. John, John, terrible and John Terry's probably available. <laughs> yeah, Making why not? A central midfield trio. And tell, but make sure to also tell him of. sign all the English jerks you can find, but also make sure that they've <laughs> previously expressed a total disinterest in playing in MLS. Yeah, and then you know draft some poor rookie to to do their running for them. Or just sign Andrew Jacob, trade for Andrew Jacobson because he's used to that role at NYCFC. Yeah, he's the most experienced doing running for two guys who aren't going to move uh, in in MLS at this point. Uh, really quickly around the rest of the league, uh, it sounds like Didier Drogba, who came in and had a ridiculous second half of the season, uh. Comparable to Christian Gomez when he came to DC United and won MVP after half a year, um, had Sebastian Jovinko not set the league on fire for the entire year. Drogba may have had a legitimate claim to be MVP this season. He may not be back with the impact next year because the new regime at Chelsea, uh, wants him as an assistant coach over there in West London. And it sounds like he's amenable. He loves Chelsea. It's his club for life, basically. He's had two stints there as a player, one of them incredibly successful, the other one also very successful. Ben, what do you make of what's happening up in Montreal with Drogba? I mean, I don't care. I, I don't care that Chelsea is his lifetime club. That's great, but he left. He signed a contract with MLS, and it's shitty of him to just bolt on that to go back to Chelsea. Uh, he should either he should either honor his contract or he should have never signed with MLS in the first place. If he was going to, well, it sounds like I don't, it sounds like he incorporated into it and out for this very situation. So when Montreal says that their hands are tied, like they're trying to find a situ a, a solution here, but they don't have it. It sounds like Drogba thought about this and had it in the contract that Chelsea could buy him out if they wanted him to come back as a player or as a coach and. It's weird because you'd think he wants to keep playing since he's able to still at a high level. He's not going to play for Chelsea. He's going to be a star for the impact. So it's kind of weird to me that he he may just want to transition to coaching sooner than anyone realized. I don't know. Um, But but it does sound like he's not – this isn't a surprise thing that nobody thought of. It's just the impact we're hoping this wouldn't happen, and it's going to happen. I I had – if that is the case, then – I understand why the impact signed him because he's Didier Drogba, but oh, you can't do that. You've got to, you've got to think better about your team. I mean, he was I mean, here. He was here for a half season. I don't think it's going to help them in any lasting way. I mean, he did single handedly basically carry them to the playoffs. Sure, for one season, so it and was, then he's gone. I don't know. I think he'd be yeah, better. Yeah, half think season he, was the best they've ever had. Sure, but I think they'd be better. Well, but now they've got to rebuild from scratch. Burned a lot of goodwill. And and they yeah, burned a lot true. of goodwill with not with existing impact fans, the people that were already going before he was there, but 
there are already a lot of reports. A lot of people that were only coming there for him are, are trying to you know, trying to get refunds or what have you. And yeah. now, now I don't endorse that sort of behavior. Go just guy in his late thirties is playing soccer. That's not the reason you should go buy season tickets. It's crazy to me. Um, if you want to buy season tickets, buy them because you care about the team because they're going to be there the whole year. Whereas this guy may or may not be. Um, you know, if Drogba built this into his contract, then the impact, you know, what are, what are they going to do? Um, yeah, and, presumably and there's some sign out. So, right, you know, so someone who's got a brother that traveled across the Atlantic uh, at Stad Saputo briefly, um, well, briefly at Tom, it's a Chelsea banner. Um, you know, this is a guy that's a legend over there. And when you sign a play, these things he loves the most. Please come back. We need your help. He's not going to stick around for Montreal, where he's been there for a couple of months and had a fun time, but that was it. Yeah, but it does sound like he might make the impact some money, at least, um, on his way out. If they're not getting his services. They're, all, they're, they're not paying his salary, and, and they might get a, a transfer in the process. Uh, one other transfer out of the league is Luis Gill, who is left RSL and has signed with Carataro. I actually have no idea how to pronounce Carataro, Carataro. Carataro. The, it's the, the second E has the, um, diacritic. Carataro. Carataro. Carataro, who is DC United's opponent in the quarterfinals of the CONCACAF Champions League. Luis Gill will not be playing for that team when they meet DC United because he is cap tied to RSL, much like uh, Lamar Nagel is cap tied to Seattle and cannot appear for DC United in the competition next year. Uh, one other bit of news around the league is actually off the field and really, really funny um, as Orlando city's newly minted chief soccer officer, Armando Carneo, uh, Carnero has left the Lions after a whopping two months on the job. Ben, I know you feel really sad about this development. Oh, Orlando City. And I mean, it's, I mean, it's <laughs> not just that he's leaving, which is apparently for personal reasons, and I hope everything is uh, well for him, but it's the fact that they hired him over their former general manager who left the team to go to, to Atlanta's MLS team because he felt slighted by Orlando City. And then this guy leaves after two months, and now they have basically no one in charge except uh, Adrian Heath and Phil Rollins apparently is stepping in to uh, help manage the offseason in which they have to... It's their first off-season, real off-season as an MLS club, and it's a disaster from leadership, and I love it. It's great. <laughs> and on that wonderful note, we are going to take a quick break. Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, and, yeah. And, not, and you never ever use the term correctly? Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly. Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly all the time. In fact, that is what they do. 
Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them? Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, they have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet. Uh, fine. So, Ehrlich Law Office, it's, a, it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their, their main proprietor, Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine. His, one of their, their attorneys, Ben, uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and, and other places. So, guys, for a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast, where we, we have let Jasper into the room. He is no longer clawing at the door as he, he was through he has, most of that first segment. He has breached the perimeter. And yeah, Ben Ben has given in and surrendered to the invading of one cat, and uh, he's now in the studio uh, with Ben. So, if you hear random, unrelated, if you hear random purring, it's the cat. Or Ben. It might be Ben. Fair. Instead of talking about that, we are now going to talk about DC United's new uh, rumored uh, jersey, footyheadlines.com, which is essentially the definitive source for leaked jerseys the world over at this point. Uh, (laughs) Published a leaked rendering of what they claim is DC United's 2016 primary jersey, the parts of the jersey that we have seen from uh, official releases from the team match up with this. So it looks like it's at the very least largely legitimate. It is what we thought it was going to be. It's a black shirt with black sublimated hoops around the front. The three stripes for Adidas have moved off the shoulder and they're now on the side of the torso. Red cuffs uh, on both arms. And, and to my mind, it's hot fire. It is really good. It's got the new logo, obviously. Um, it's just, I, I like it a lot. While Ben takes a picture of Jasper to put on the Twitter account, Jason, what do you think of the new shirt? Uh, I I like it. Uh, I personally, I think the Jersey needs to be pretty much entirely black. Um, so for me, it makes perfect sense that, that, you know, you're so it's sublimated black. So it's, I guess it's going to have a two tone effect, but not actually be two tones. Um, which I'm it's, perfectly from a fine distance, with. it's going to look black. That's it. Yeah, you're it's not going to know unless you're really up close on it. Yeah, it's a detail. Um, for the, the, the for people who can see, but yeah, yeah the rest of it is up blind. <laughs> yeah, it's a black shirt um, for the blind. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, but it, the the red on the cuff of the sleeve is fine with me. Um, I know uh, some people on our staff want more red. I. I I think we had this debate and, and not a, not an argument by any means, but you know, I'm in favor of this is like the maximum amount of red that should be on the Jersey. In my opinion, um, I think the thing should be almost entirely black. Um, I was pleased. I wasn't like, I didn't see it and go like, Oh my God, this is like the best Jersey in history. Uh, but it's good. Um, I like what I see. I, I, I given the chance of rolling the dice, on it not be this not being the actual jersey and it being something else, I think I'd be comfortable taking this without having to look behind door three, so to speak. Um, it's a it's a jersey I could definitely uh, spend some money on, and if you want the stars on your shirt, you will have to spend money on it because it's like thirty to thirty five dollars more to get the authentic. 
How did or at least just make? How did you just make a let's make a deal reference and neither you nor Ben followed it up by explicitly saying what is behind the door? Neither of you went with the goat reference there and I'm my mind is blown and I have no idea what's happening anymore. There's a goat re- reference from let's make a deal. Yes. If it wasn't, that was, there was a prize behind one door and behind the two other doors was a goat. That was the entire thing. Like you got the goat meant you got nothing. You didn't actually get to take the goat home, but the joke was you get Hold a goat. On. Hold on, this was a TV show in which they showed you a goat and you did not get a goat? It was just to make fun of you? Yes. That's not fair. I don't like the fact <laughs> You would actually be really excited to get the goat. No, I would be like, all right, I guess I got a goat now. Um, and then if they I mean, told me afterwards, no, the goat's not yours. It was to make fun of you. I'm like, well, then bring someone out to make fun of me. Don't show me a thing and like, oh, you got this? No, you don't. That's You'd rather have an insult comic there than than much rather be honest with me. The goat. Be honest with me. If you're going, if I'm on a game show, win my prize, then I'm going home with the goat. I, I don't I, think goats had the cultural cachet they do now when the show aired. So no, probably not. You, the idea was what that you, mean, you would what do you, mean you would not even take the goat. What do you mean when the show aired? It's still on. You, when. The show originally aired with okay. Monty Hall as the host, not oh, Wayne Brady. Okay. See, I didn't watch either version. I just know Behind Door 3, etc. I don't actually know. I don't have any memory of there being so, Goat Behind Door 3. So you've I never heard of the Monty it, Hall problem? I heard of it no. as like getting no. something you don't want. about getting. All right, let's go. Let's go back to the jersey. Let's go back to the jersey, Ben. How, how do you like the new shirt? Love it. I can't. I, I don't think I'll be able to wait until August when my birthday comes around to buy one. I think I'll probably have to get it before then. Yeah, I mean, I'm planning to get it at the season ticket holder event on February 6th at Pinstripes in Georgetown. Um, I, I really like it. I think it's there. There's a case to be made that it's the the best home shirt we've had anyway since the the original shirt was retired in 2001. Uh, I like it that much. I think it is it is that slick and and that good looking of a shirt. If you look back through our jersey history, we've had some good shirts. Um, the first one I ever bought was the thumbprint shirt from uh, 06 and 07. Um, but but since then we've had some with random Frankenstripes of red going on them, just in places that don't make any sense. We had the really empty one when uh, the stripes were taken off before VW was added. Um, but this one, I think, is is the complete package in a really sharp, clean way that that very few other shirts have have accomplished. And, and I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be great, especially if uh, the reported partnership with DC Vote is still on because the rendering we saw, and it is a rendering, it's a very good rendering but it's not a picture of the shirt in the wild or or on a rack or something uh it doesn't show the taxation without representation slogan on the neck tape which we were all expecting it to it doesn't show anything there which was surprising because that's a place where they love to put put easter eggs uh adidas and nike and any other manufacturer of apparel loves to put a little easter egg on the neck tape of soccer jerseys so uh, whether that's there or not, whether it's on the back of the shirt or or nowhere, we'll have to see. But 
especially if that is there, this will just be basically my the the favorite my favorite DC United shirt I've owned, uh, which is saying something because I have some shirts I really like. All that said, I really want Red Sox, Jason. I know that's that's heresy for you, and it's very heterodox of me to say, but I really want Red Sox with a DC United home jersey. You're a monster. I've been saying this for a while. Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) Seriously, though, Red Sox, black shirt, black shorts, Red Sox. It would just look so. I will say, if you're going to see so good, one thing a main color on any of them i think that would be the most acceptable alternative to me um it would you would be the least monstrous monster in this this the, the possibilities there so at least there's that we can all we can all agree red shorts never unless the jersey is red well the the jersey shouldn't be red the shirt absolutely right. should be black that but I, that's I, but not I, negotiable i'm just trying to say we always lose in red shorts. I feel like we always play awful when it's either white or black jersey with red shorts. Always. Okay. I mean, in the 90s, that wasn't true, but... Yeah. <laughs> we, we won wait, a lot wait. of games with red shorts. And there there are certain people that... Oh, in wait, 96, did win the first MLS Cup in red shorts? Yes. And in, in 96, um, no, no, they didn't have the red shorts on, I don't think. I thought they were wearing white no, shirts and red shorts in the 96. Yeah, they were definitely wearing the white shirt. In any case, the, in 96, uh, the short shirt combination was sort of up for grabs. Uh, Adidas didn't say you have to wear this set as home. And so the team sort of cycled through. They wore all black a few times. They wore, um, the red shorts with, with black shirt, shirt and socks a few times with a white jersey. They mixed in the black shorts sometimes, the red shorts sometimes. It was really, I think a a healthier way of doing it where the team, the players and the coaching staff of the team just say like, well, let's wear this because we we're, want to, or we have superstition. It's like how baseball works. Now where, someone dictates to you. We're, we're yeah. taking, we're taking our fashion advice from the nineties. That's a fair point. That said, there was success with red shorts at some point in history. Well, sure, um, but I, I, I don't ago. personally want to see red shorts. Um, as with the black jerseys, unless it's, uh, you know, if that becomes our first look away from home, that's something I could maybe support. Like, I know um, this is something the Sounders do a really good job on. When they are at home, they wear the green shirt, the blue shorts, and green socks. And when they're oh. on the road, I mean, they, they're all... They don't, actually, they don't really wear it as often as, as that indicates, I don't think. Well, that's um, usually what they wear at home. And then when they're on the road, they go green, green, blue. They they switch the colors of the shorts and the socks in, when they're in their primary okay, jerseys. You're, you're talking about in the instance where they're wearing their green, that does hum. But they often, like in the Champions League, they never wear their home unless they're forced to. Right. Um, but I mean, in, in MLS, in MLS, they wear and whatever comes up. Yeah, they, they wear the same colors in a slightly different combination at home and on right. the road. And I think that's a really cool kind of um, detail that they get right, the the Sounders. And this is me praising Seattle, so this is rare. Um, well, they probably they probably get some sort of leeway that other teams don't. You know, we've heard um, stuff during the World Cup saying that FIFA was requiring one team to wear white. Um, mm-hmm. And it wouldn't surprise me if that is a 
requirement coming from the sponsors, which would mean Adidas would call MLS and say, look, make sure that such and such team is wearing this jersey often enough. We saw the Rebs wear their red secondary kit a lot this past season. Right. Um, the first time we played and Toronto, it, they wore their black away jerseys at home. Right. Um, so, so as far as that is, I think DC United should wear black head to toe as often as possible. They should only wear secondary if it, if they have to, if there is a conflict and they are the away team. If there's a conflict and they're at home and the other team shows up without uniforms, then they should have to forfeit, uh, just like anyone else playing soccer would have to live with. Or um, they can put in Portsmouth and wear our away jerseys. If, if we want to give them out. Uh, we or, don't have to. Or maybe oh. Ports, Portsmouth's jerseys have probably arrived by now. They could just wear Portsmouth's jerseys. All right, that would be awesome, actually. I mean, it's actually in the laws of the game that you have to have a uniform that meets a certain standard. Um, so technically, and obviously in MLS, that's never going to, you're never going to see a team forced to forfeit yeah. because they're uniform. Just saying that we should screw you guys. You didn't show up your uniforms. You don't get to play. Um, if you guys go buy some shirts, you know, real quick at the, your local, uh, Dick Sporting Goods and, you know, put some tape numbers on, then we'll allow it. Um, as long as the referee gives it the thumbs up. But uh, unfortunately, that's a, a level of sticklerism that I don't think is ever going to happen. I think it would be hilarious, but um, maybe not fun because you come to a soccer game to see soccer and not like a referee yelling at somebody and then tape jerseys, maybe. Um, <laughs> but I want three points in the end is what I'm saying. I, I will say I'm not sure the the uniform issues at the World Cup came from sponsors. I think... FIFA came to the conclusion that referees were having trouble keeping up. And when there's a dark light color combination between the shirt and the shorts and socks, especially when the two teams overlap, like one team has yellow shirts and socks and the other team has yellow shorts, the referees miss see things. And I think this is FIFA being really silly and uh, parochial in a stupid way. Um, but I think it was honestly, they don't trust referees to get it right when there are similar colors on the field. And I, I don't think it impression. had to do with sponsors. That, that, that's, that, that was, I was the report the impression, I saw. I was under the impression this was a TV and sponsors complaining at FIFA and FIFA doing what they were told because that's how FIFA works. Okay. Maybe, um, maybe the referee keep... thing was them trying to put it, put, you know, the thinnest veneer over the front I mean, of it, but that is what I saw. Anytime you want to think about FIFA, you have to assume that the motives are base. Um, that's or fair. Or financial. Yeah. Yeah. That's completely fair. Well, it, it could be, but, um, that's, that's what I was under the impression of anyway. Not that I have spent any time investigating FIFA or even going to Switzerland at all. Um, but that's what I thought. And Ben is complaining about this conversation on Twitter now. So let's move on. Subtweeting to... my own podcast. It's true. Well, you're not subtweeting because at least you tagged us. So you're not very good at subtweeting. <laughs> All right. So we have this tradition at Black and Red United of off-season voting in various things. One of them is our annual Benny Awards, which which are handed out in various categories to DC United players and uh, coaches and, and storylines. And one no, is no, no. They're handed out to people. Storylines and and non-humans are not allowed to win anymore. <laughs> but they have been in the past, Ben. But they're not anymore. 
Ben rules the Benny Awards, which are not named after him, but he rules them with an iron fist. I do. The other off-season voting we have is our annual season review where we look back and go through the roster player by player. Uh, we completed that last week, and we've now turned our attention to the technical staff. Um, we don't really have enough information about the assistant coaches to uh, vote on them. We have in the past. We've tried that, and it just it, it ends up becoming an exercise in narrative. And so we've, we've foregone that this year, and instead we have two uh, technical staff votes to 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 weigh in on they both went up on the site last week uh these of course are dave casper the general manager and ben olson the head coach of dc united ben up or down vote on dave casper cake or death um go temporarily i think this is a really big off season for him um He's going to have to, especially with Perry Kitchen leaving, he's going to have to prove that he can make an international signing stick. And he's going to have to prove that he can upgrade a playoff team rather than upgrading two of the worst teams in MLS history into playoff playoff teams the next year. So I think this is a defining season for him. If DC United misses the playoffs, I think... Definitely, Casper probably needs to move on, but it's it, it's a defining offseason for him. Yeah, I, I completely agree. He also gets cake from me. And, and for those of you keeping score at home, when Ben and Jason say nonsensical things like goat or fox, they that's just them being them. Goat is good. Fox is bad from them. And I because can't fox, I'm actually because, legitimizing this. Because foxes eat goats. Do they? Yeah, I'm not sure that's true. It doesn't ben. matter. It doesn't matter. We, I don't, thought have you to, just we don't have to explain it. We're going to go for 17 hours if we explain it. No, but you're explaining it. You're explaining it is the whole thing. I, I was always <laughs> in the impression that this was something you grabbed out of thin air. Um, and that was part of the appeal of it, was that it was just completely nonsense. Now that there's a reason that it's coming back to my side of the argument. Uh, Jason, you, you know, somewhat literally wrote the book on on Dave Casper's 2015 uh does he get cake or death from you uh i would say he he's earned uh another season uh, i think he's done a solid job obviously he's got the right mindset for being in a situation where the the resources are limited he knows the resources are going to be limited um and he finds a way to put together a team that can be effective um effective is not attractive in a lot of cases people have every right to complain about the aesthetics um i mean at a certain point you can see people go overboard where they would prefer a team that plays aesthetically beautiful soccer and then gets beaten most of the time um which is kind of not the point of the game um is not, not the game the game is losing um ice i think everyone would want to see i don't i don't think there's a single person on the planet that wants their soccer team to play negative soccer that doesn't that person doesn't exist um but uh as far as casper goes the team is solid um he does well whenever he has to make acquisitions within mls um going abroad hasn't worked out a lot of times even even in the instance of someone like halsty who is i think a good player who might not be the right player for dc i think that's been the problem more than once is just it's he's not the right player for this team or this league um but uh 
that's a significant issue. And I think it's an issue that contributes to the team. You know, we talked when they left, uh, they exited the playoffs about the team hitting their ceiling. Um, I think that's an issue that has to be resolved if they're going to become a better team than they are um, in the last two seasons. Uh, I think, I think maybe 2014 was kind of the actual ceiling, a 59 point season. Um, I think this year might be more of what we're in for um, if they don't find a way to take that next step. But on the other hand, um, you replace your GM, that's a major, major thing. Um, it affects a lot of things on and off the field. Um, you have a relationship with the coach that has to be built um, on time, people that don't see eye to eye, or or a situation where they're both butting heads. So, um, or maybe, or maybe if DC United has enough, if the owners are willing to spend a little money, maybe they hire somebody over Casper, and Casper hires that focuses on the inside MLS stuff. Yeah, I mean, you can you can break up your front office as long as you find enough people who all get along and and generally see that they're going for the same thing. What you don't want is to bring in a GM or a coach, for that matter, who is thinking of the game in one way and the other person, you know, if the GM is supplying him with players that can't do that, or if the coach says, you know, I don't like these players, I'm just not going to use them, um, then you get into problems, which I don't think is... Um, so, so all in all, I think he's doing it. I think I, what I said in the piece is he's doing a solid job. Um, GM's making better moves, especially when you think of international moves or bringing in young players, someone like a Fabian Castillo or Moro Diaz, for example. They jump to mind immediately as um, acquisitions that are out there that uh, maybe United doesn't have the best contacts to make, but that's part of the job. Uh, I certainly don't think we're in a position where he has to go by any stretch of the imagination. There's no one I can think of that's a better candidate for the job. Um, and I do think that this year we've already heard rumors of more an expanded scouting uh, plan in the off season. Um, I think Ben Olson said that, you know, with the target allocation money, it's money that's there to spend. Uh, they just have to get it right was his way of looking at it. Um, and that's something that United didn't have before. And, and Casper's been trying to make these moves abroad without that. And now that he's got that, maybe he, maybe there, maybe a lot of times we've ended up with his second or third guy. And maybe now United is in a position to actually sign the guy, you know, the, the top of the list player. Um, and if that's the case, then maybe cautiously optimistic. Um, it is, I think you guys are right that it is a huge offseason for him because you know, if you if, if the defensive midfielder from France or wherever uh, doesn't pan out, if this rumored number ten can't play, if he's you know a second Facundo Coria who is skillful but not smart, um, then it might be a long season because United doesn't have Kitchen. Uh, Davy Arnaud's career is still up in the air. Marcus Holstein may or may not stick. Um, so there's a there's a midfield problem that needs to be solved. But we have already seen in the offseason some the things that Dave Casper does well. He's already shown us what he can do um, in moving Chris Pontius' salary elsewhere and then bringing in a roughly similar player for half the price to play that same role. That's that's kind of Dave Casper's GM uh, that's tenure in a nutshell. It's, right. He went within the league and made two trades early that – set him up very well for the future and that make perfect sense. 
Um, the draft, I don't think anyone has any reason to doubt that United will draft someone that's at least got a chance to do something. We're not, it isn't going to be a situation where their first round pick is some guy that never makes the cut and ends up being let go, you know, at the end of the season quietly. And everyone's like, whatever happened to that guy? Um, those things are never going to be in question. Those things, I think he is up near the top. In the foreign signings, he's got to get that right. And we'll see. This is his best chance, um, but it may be his last chance because with the stadium coming around, I don't think I, – I, I have the suspicion that ownership would not necessarily look good on a, another drop in performance where the, if the team drops down to – Missing the playoffs badly and, and they could, if they, if these signings don't come through, it could go that badly. Um, this is a team with pretty narrow margins between success and failures. So, um, he's got a lot of pressure on him, but I do think he's, I think he should be set. I, I would say, um, keep him around for another year at least. Yeah. Having essentially re-interviewed for his job once already, along with Ben Olsen, um, you, you have to think that, that Jason Levian would not allow either of them to go through that exercise again as they did after the 2013 season. So uh, we don't have as much time to talk about Ben Olsen here, but I think we're all on the same page. He gets cake from me. How about you, Ben? Uh, life. <laughs> Jason? Uh, yeah. He's, I mean, he's drawing blood from a stone. Uh, in some cases, injuries start to hit. Um, I know people don't like the style of play, but at a certain point, you've got to acknowledge that with, players of a certain quality, you can't open up and play attacking soccer or you will lose. Um, yeah. And United doesn't have at the moment the horses to, to to do that race. They've got to prioritize results over style at this point. And um, I think to harken back to the teams of the past that played style of soccer, Bruce Arena, Peter Novak, if you, if you think that they would take this roster and tell them, go out and play beautiful soccer and whatever happens, happens, you're crazy. Those guys are also pragmatic. They would also have played this style of soccer or something similar. They might have, you can argue that they would have done a better job. That's up to you, but Peter, a no, better job. Peter Novak would not have done a better job. <laughs> but the point is, you know, a better job in this style of play is still this style of play. Yes. Is my point. Um, the team plays this way for a reason, and it's not because Olsen hates attractive soccer. It's because he wants to win. Um, and so from that front, I think getting getting a roster that probably should only be putting up 45 to 50 points to above 50 in the playoffs two years in a row, yeah, I, I think you've got to keep him around at third, this point. Third, third most points in M- – fourth uh, – only – Tied for third. Tied for fourth most points in MLS over the past two years. Only Seattle, LA, and FC Dallas have more points. And it's, not, and it's like three more points. Wait. New York should be in there too. New York is tied. New York is tied. With DC they're, they're tied with us. Oh, okay. Okay. Over the past two years. Only those three teams have more than DC United over that time. Right. Um, yeah, I think Ben Olsen obviously has, has earned his keep at DC United. And, and like I said, we'll talk about tactics more in the offseason, or at least we'll try to on this show. Um, I will point out, though, really quickly that Ben Olsen has experimented with something other than the four four two flat basic. Well, he played something other than look. the four four two in twenty twelve for basically the whole season. Yeah, he's yeah, and he's at least experimented with it every single year he's been here. He he's tried the four two three one, the diamond in its various forms. Um, 
the only thing he hasn't done is play with a three man back line. It seems like, but he's, he's experimented with stuff. So I would not be surprised if, you know, if United did get a creative central player next year to see something that suits that player, as long as he can, is worth building around essentially. Um, it's just that under Ben Olsen, even with Bronco Boscovich there, uh, he hasn't felt like he could rely on that one guy to be the guy. Maybe next year that changes. Maybe it doesn't. We shall see. For now, though, we are going to talk about DC United's most improved player over the course of 2015. And that is the guy who wins our Bobby Award, named for Bobby Boswell, who came in the span of two years, went from undrafted rookie to MLS Defender of the Year in his first stint with DC United. And now he's back. He is not up for his own award. Uh, but the guys who are are Kofi Opare. Uh, another center back on the team, Connor Doyle, the, at this point, I'll call him an X forward, now a winger, uh, formerly a defensive forward specifically, now a winger who's actually goal dangerous from time to time. Uh, Taylor Kemp, I call him shooter. He's a left fullback whose offense increased a lot last year and whose defense improved a lot this year. And Miguel Aguilar, United's really only well, no, because they had Luke Mishu as well, but uh, a United rookie who... Uh, and Travis Wara. The, and Travis Wara, who played half an hour in one game. Uh, and was really Miguel, excited about it. He was. He was in front of his parents. What's not to love about that? Uh, but Miguel Aguilar began the year playing for Richmond and, and ended up making the roster, the game day roster, during the playoffs, which was a big jump uh, for him. Ben, who gets the uh, the Bobby? for you as DC United's most improved player. I voted for Kofi Apare just because he moved and it moved from a CONCACAF Champions League and second team player into someone we all expected him to be that was a challenging for the first team and keeping Steve Birnbaum on the bench occasionally and hopefully the future of DC United's uh, defense, whether it be next year or the year after. Jason, who did you have? Uh, I would have to go with Kemp. I think this is the second time I've gone with Kemp for one of the Benny Awards. Um, I think because his defending has gotten a little better and because he ended up being a, a key source of offense for this team, um, I know and understand why people are looking at possibly replacing him at left back. Um, but the fact is that this team needs that that extra runner that's coming from a deeper position Um they need fire in crosses that are actually useful. Um, Sean Franklin does get his fair share of key passes, but, but they're not crosses. We're looking at a team that retained Alvaro Saborio, so like it or not, you know, he's going to be in the I don't think he's going to be starting, but he, um, so I, I think Kemp's defensive improvement is important. It's something he needs to keep doing. Um, it, it's not a finished project by any means, but I like that we're seeing where he's starting to recognize things earlier. Um, he's not getting caught turning and making the run back late, which was a big problem before. He's not getting caught egregious. Uh, um, I also don't know that the other the other candidate, it's kind of hard to say. I, I, personally, I actually don't know that Kofi Opare really improved that much this year, um, especially when having to handle the ball um, or have to having to defend one-on-one in a rather innocuous situations. I there are a few instances where that wasn't done well enough, uh, um, and 
you know, any danger became very dangerous all of a sudden. Uh, I think that's something he needs. Because I think he's high with Opari. I just don't think he actually really got that much better this year than as compared to 2014. Uh, I did not see the University of San Francisco play college soccer. I, you know, it's hard to say what his starting point was. Um, so for me, I, I think it's got to be Kemp. And I hope that next year we're talking about him again, because if he keeps improving, um, we can marry that, that ability to cross with some extremely solid defending, hopefully, by the end of next season. Yeah, Kemp, of course, was the winner of this award last year. So uh, it would be interesting for him to repeat. That said, uh, I also voted for Taylor Kemp. Uh, I think at the beginning of the year, he was an absolute defensive liability. And by the end of the year, he was, I, I won't say marking Lloyd Sam out of the game, but in both playoff series, Lloyd Sam was not a huge factor the way he was in previous years when he's gone against Taylor Kemp. And I think that is a testament to Kemp, uh, whether it means that he sacrificed some of his offensive production in that I think is up is up for the bait. It's certainly an argument that, that has some color to it, but I think his defense has improved a lot because in the past, even if he did sit back, he was still a liability defensively. This year, he stepped up, improved that side of the game immensely, and next year, if he can put it all together, then he's he's got a pretty high ceiling, honestly, uh, even for a guy who's already in his mid-20s. So, I, Taylor Kemp was my most improved player this year. And, and like Jason said, he could win it again next year, conceivably. And that would be a pretty exciting thing for DC United. It is time now to break open the Twitter box. We've got a couple of tweets from, from listeners to the show who sent their questions in to us at filibuster DCU on Twitter. And now we get to answer them. Uh, Scott Waldman, who is at ST Waldman on Twitter, asks us at filibuster DCU, why does nobody realize that Guzan and Howard are bad now? It's not really DC United relating, but it kind of is because Bill. Uh, <laughs> and it's a great question. Um, Brad Guzan has not had a good year with Aston Villa, who are an incredibly bad soccer team. I hope right they now. get relegated. And, and, and Tim Howard is, not who he was in the the 2014 World Cup, which at which point he was amazing. Obviously, he had the best game of any keeper in World Cup history against Belgium, just keeping the U.S. in that game. Um, I don't know if I'd say they're bad now, but they're they're certainly off of somewhere off of their their high point. Whereas Bill Hamid keeps getting better every year. Ben, would you agree that that? With at least with with Scott's implication that Bill Hamid should be Jurgen Klinsmann's guy in the net at this point. Yes, definitely. I mean, I Howard at most you're going to get the uh, Copa America Centenario out of him, and that's basically it. And I don't think it's worth it on in that kind of tournament to give a 40 year old keeper that tournament when you have a 24 25 year old who is in the same league. So. I think you have to give it to Bill Hamid. If Guzan was playing up to what we are pretty sure he can play right now, then maybe you give it to him over Hamid. But right now, I think you have to give it to Hamid and start grooming him for 2018. Because, I mean, yes, it's a bit, the 2016 Copa America is a big deal, but in the end, it doesn't matter that much. It's, it's all preparation for the World Cup. 
And I mean, Bill Mead is good enough that unless somebody else comes and is as good as him, he should be starting for the U.S. on a daily basis. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I, I also willingly admit my bias. I love Bill Hamid. We're, um, we're all biased. I, we're all, we're, I, this is a DC United are, podcast. We are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I obviously, the way I framed that question, it's it's clear that I think Bill should be between the pipes for, for the U.S., which is not to say Jurgen Klinsmann is actually going to do that. He's probably not because it seems to me like the right thing to do, and that means it will not seem that way to Jurgen Klinsmann. Jason, anything to add? Yeah, I would say the one area that I'm concerned with as far as changing goalkeepers and, and making Hamid the number one for the U.S. is just experience. Um, those guys have had multiple seasons in a higher level league than Hamid has had. And um, I will say that in his two caps, um, maybe he, he it wasn't it's not that he won't ever be ready for it. I just think the speed of play I know against Ireland, he you know, he was said to, I think in the preseason, he said he'd watched that game about 50 times over again and talked about how the speed of play really surprised him. Um, and well, that's the kind of thing that he'll get used to. Yeah. How do you, um, how do you get experience without getting experience? Well, uh, I mean, unfortunately, the answer might be leaving MLS for a higher level league. Um, but the other side of that is, um, Guzan and Howard, uh, they're, I think that there's, they're not going to be surprised by anything they see in international play. And, and certainly I think you can give Hamid a World Cup qualifier against, uh, you know, a broken Guatemala or, uh, against, um, wait, who, I can't even remember the other, uh, the island nation. It's not Trinidad that we, we were in a qualifying with. I'm going blank. Um, with their team of amateurs and their postman playing striker or what have you. Um, that's a game that Hamid is up for. Um, experience doesn't matter at that point. Um, there are probably 20 Tra- or 25. Travis Wara is up for that game. Right. Um, so those are games that you can, you can give out, um, where you can show some sort of inkling or understanding that it's time to make a move or it's time to start planning to make a move. Um, Brad Gozan still isn't that old for a goalkeeper though. So I think his issue just lately has been, confidence he's playing for a bad team a lot of bad things happen when you're on a bad team that mess with your head and and a lot of goalkeepers are it's a very finely tuned thing where if it's you know your confidence your belief is just a little bit off it really shows shows up in your play um i don't worry when guzan is playing howard's been in a slump for long enough with everton that i actually do worry a little uh in games that he's playing i think jurgen klinsman has to settle on a goalkeeper um, and, and explain his rationale. Um, I think my preference would have actually been to see Hamid play the first qualifier and they're back, uh, in the first two games, have Hamid play the first qualifier and then bring Guzan in against Trinidad. Um, but obviously this isn't really a question about no one sees that those guys are playing badly right now. It's just the people that have the, their hands on the button, so to speak, and, and either don't see or don't care and are just going to pick whoever they're Jurgen Klinsmann and they can do things like that. But, but most already it's just about as far as his ability, he's fine. I think it's just a situation of, is he going to be slightly overwhelmed and thrown off by something? As far as his skill, his decision-making, all that stuff, I think he's fine. It's a moment too much for him and he can get there 
uh, if he gets those games, as you know, we've talked about. Our other question comes from Michael Spatz, who is at Diet Coco on Twitter. He asks us at filibuster DCU. Is there a realistic chance DC can go into 2016 as the Eastern Conference favorites? And what will DC have to do to do that? I, I, ben, I see you shaking your head. Jason, you look doubtful. I am inclined to agree with your nonverbal responses that, that there's not a really strong chance that DC United will come into 2016 as Eastern Conference favorites. And I'm not sure Ben Olsen would really want it any other way. And that's very, um, and that's very different from saying, do we think they would? actually win the Eastern Conference based on their right. preseason uh, move. Right. The perception across the league is that, and with, with some DC United fans, frankly, is that, that 2014 was a fluke and 2015 was also a fluke. Um, some people, especially those who are more aesthetically inclined, think that DC United has no business being where they've been in the standings the last two years. Uh, I think they'll be proven wrong. Uh, depending on what happens this off season, of course, um, because Perry Kitchen was a really important part of what DC United was doing. Um, that said, I'm not sure, short of Messi, Ronaldo, and Zlatan, or there's any combination of acquisitions DC United can make that will make them Eastern Conference favorites ahead of the crew, ahead of the Red Bulls, ahead of Toronto going into the 2016 season. I just, I don't think that there's the money to spend on guys and DC United isn't at this point, isn't the type of team that's going to sign splashy guys who are going to move them from, you know, uh, a, a playoff team to a top of the conference team at, at this point, maybe when the new stadium opens, we'll see that change. I certainly hope so. Uh, just, you know, as a fan, as a writer, as a podcaster, that would all be really fun. But at this point, we know who DC United are and they're going to make some signings, but they're going to be relatively unknown within the league. And they're not going to be the type that, that really changes popular opinion of the team until they get on the field. So for the rest of this off season, United is picked to finish fourth in, in the East, I think. I, I, first of all, I would say that uh, the doubtful look you may have read was actually me trying to tweet about Ben's cat. Um, so don't read, don't read too much into my facial expressions. Um, but I think to try and tackle what United would have to do to be favorites, uh, um, by the end, the number 10 they're supposedly looking at in Argentina would have to be outstanding. Uh, we'd be talking about a Diego Valeri level player, that kind of thing. Um, the defensive midfielder that they're linked with or, or rumored to be looking at as Perry Kitchen's replacement would have to be as good or better than Perry Kitchen straight away. Um, neither player would have, both players would have to have an accelerated adjustment to the league, which is uncommon. Um, I think Fabian Espindolo would have to avoid injury and suspension and play 30 plus games, which I don't think he's, I don't think he's gotten over 30 games in any season he's been in the league. Um, most of the time due to an injury, very, you know, Fortunately, I say fortunately because we're talking about someone getting hurt, but fortunately his injuries have not been tissue injuries where you have to worry about him having a, a chronic problem where he's just breaking down. Usually they're contact injuries. Um, perhaps some of them have been drawn because uh, he's not exactly the most agreeable person, so um, people might go after him. 
um, Felipe, you terrible person. Um, but uh, the point is that if he stays on the field, then we're not talking about, oh, a spindle would have finished with this goal totally played the full season see what that would look like because he hasn't done that yet. Um, those things all would have to fall into place. I think Steve Birnbaum would have to take his next step as the center really did in 2016. I'm hoping that that's what we see. Um, Bill Hamid would not have to, would have to not leave in the summer window. Um, Taylor Kemp would have to keep improving and Saborio would have to be able to play well as a starter, uh, when he does start games. Um, I think Miguel Aguilar would have to, uh, be able to contribute, uh, more on a regular basis. It's a long list of things that United would have to do to force their way into being looked at as the top team in the East because it's not just about reality. It's also perception. You know, we're talking about the team that's the favorites. It's being perceived as the favorite. Um, and the perception most people have is that United is a playoff team, no more, no less. And established perception at this point. Um, and to move the needle when everyone's already pretty much decided you're going to do what you do is di- it's difficult. So United would have to change everything about how they play. Um, they probably have to give some good team a pretty substantial beating, possibly on the road. Um, to, you know, to move. It's not just about doing X, Y, and Z better. It's also about changing people's minds, which sometimes doesn't happen for good reasons. It just sort of happens. Um, but it's, it's all of those things are possible, but you've got to kind of run the gauntlet to get them all to happen at once. And that's, that's the issue. I think unrealistic to think they'll be favorites. I think top three or four. Yeah. I think that's, that's a safe assumption, but I don't think that that's, I don't think United's going to be looked at as better than that. And I don't think that anyone with the team is going to complain either. Yeah, by the end of the season, who knows? They may have made the right acquisitions and people might be coming good uh, to be viewed okay. as the favorites in the playoffs. The question. But that's not the question. Yeah, the, the yeah. question is coming into the 2016, and I'm not sure there's any combination of events that could happen that are realistic yes. that, that, right. that will lead to United being considered broadly the favorite going into 2016, or even even among us, because I don't think any of us expect United to finish first if the season were to start today. Obviously, it doesn't. Obviously, that's part of the planning. But we don't know how the new acquisitions are going to be, and they're not coming from our strong from Dave Casper right. in the front it's a strong season, suit. If the season so started there's a lot on, of risk. If the season started on January 1st every, every year, uh, Toronto FC would be four-time MLS Cup champion. Bum, bum, and I think that's where we're going to cut off discussion. Thank you all for listening this week. Find us on blackandredunited.com. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu. We are also at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. As always, we accept love letters. We accept hate mail. We love hate mail, actually. We love advertising inquiries even more. Find us on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher. We're also on SoundCloud. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show when you're talking about DC United because you really want to talk about DC United because it's the offseason and you're desperate for a fix because you're an addict like the three of us. Until next week, for Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason.